Time is running out for the planet Earth. It's impervious to all voices. There's an intriguing sensation. It's a nuclear device. Fun, fun, fun! Yes, that's nice. Statistically speaking, of course, it's still the safest way to travel. It belongs to a creature from outer space. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's very important. It does not go you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Geek Shell Appeared. I'm Daniel Pickett. I'm Jason Lindsay. And, boy, we're, you know, we're, we're this, the end of June, the beginning of July, Comic-Con is right on the horizon. It is, and it's getting hot in L.A. Yes, it is. It's like 85 degrees today, I think, something like that. Well, depending on where you are, in some places it's over 100 degrees today. Is it real? Like in the valley? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Wow. Out, out in the valley. it's it's. Uh, I think they were saying it was going to get to 108, 109 today. Jeez. Yeah. Because we had that nice June gloom going for a while that I really enjoy. Where you get up, oh, yeah. get up in the morning and it's all overcast and gray and nice and cool. And then uh, all of a sudden, bam. Hits you with the, with the heat. Did Did you go out last weekend and see the super moon? Uh, I did not. What What's this? What was the super moon? Uh, you didn't hear about the super moon last, last weekend. Uh, it was actually the twenty third was the best day to see it. It was the closest the moon has been to the Earth in I don't know a thousand years or Wait something. Wait a minute. You know what? I think I might have seen it without even knowing. Oh. It was like because there was one night I I called I called the wife up out back and said hey look up in the air and it was like it looked like it was you could you could almost touch it and it was just orange like bright yes. orange yeah yeah oh That's so the super i did see the super moon good cool we actually had a good view of it uh, sunday night we were at the greek theater you know for the the bare naked ladies ben folds concert mm-hmm. so we got to see it you know come up over the horizon there which was pretty cool oh nice yeah nice one yes yeah, so i did see the super moon Excellent. That's because otherwise you're gonna have to wait another like thousand years to see it. Yeah, I don't have that kind of patience. I really don't. <laughs> right. I just I'm glad I I'm glad I caught it this time because I can't I can't I don't think the cryo chamber is gonna hold up that long. Yeah. Well, you can mark it off your bucket list now. Yeah. You saw the saw the sweet supermoon. Saw the supermoon. I think there's a there's a comic book there somewhere. Supermoon. I like that. Just be careful what you what you draw. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> You don't want that to be so super. <laughs> so we're we're getting through the summer here. Lots going on. We're inches away from Comic Con, but as usual, the pop culture world does not slow down for us. And there's That's right. loads of stuff happening. So um, let's get to it. What are you excited about? Well, this is this is pretty uh, hot off the press. It just started this week. Actually, uh, the day that we're recording, uh, there is a new Kickstarter campaign. The guys from Castaway Toys and Zika, who have both done some business in the sort of remigo world, uh, have started this new Kickstarter campaign. This is next year's the 40th anniversary of the Mego Type 2 body, which is shocking. And uh, if for anyone that, that got the, the Zika Buck Rogers figures, they were really, really well-made figures. But while they looked sort of Mego in style in their construction, they just seemed sort of like a big, uh, almost kind of like a big Marvel legend. I mean, the the, the articulation and, the, and the, the construction of it was very different than anything else we've seen with any of the other bodies from like, you know, EMC Toys and... And and even what Castaway had done previously, because Castaway has their own uh, 
body. So they're getting together and they are redoing the Mego Type 2 body, but uh, with the so it looks exactly like the, the Type 2 body from the outside, but the internal structure of it uh, functions much more like that original Zika body. So uh, there's no rubber band. It's got uh, more articulation, more you know posability. You can hold poses with it, and uh, that's just kind of cool, you know, for for people like me and and you that are fans of that old style and and those sorts of figures. Uh, I think that could be something kind of cool, especially for the guys that love to customize. Uh, it's a it's a nice little body, and just for like a fifteen dollar buy-in, you get one of the bodies as part of that. So yeah, that's. Uh... That's cool. Now they, they what what are they what are they shooting for? Uh, they're looking for about twelve grand. Okay, twelve grand total to to get that off the ground. Well, uh, anything that keeps the Mego flame going is all right with me. Yeah, so it's uh, David Lee is the guy from uh, Castaway, and I'll put a, a link to it in the show notes if people want to check it out, see the video, kind of explain what they're doing, and if you want to throw some bucks that way, you you certainly can. Yeah, it's interesting because um, uh, there's an interesting uh, – we're talking about uh, Kickstarter again. The new issue of Q, uh, the British music magazine, has Daft Punk on the cover. And there is a column in there uh, about the whole Kickstarter thing with, with bands. Uh, very interesting article um, – Kind of questioning whether it's sort of uh, the, the the basically the title of the article is bands are squeezing the wallets of those that love them most as casual listeners increasingly access music for next to nothing loyal fans are being unfairly pressured to make up the shortfall and that's uh, the argument in his in his article that um, that it it seems that it's almost getting abusive now and he he points to the um, uh, Amanda Palmer case as, uh, you know, it's okay to ask for small amounts, but um, he's saying that, it, that, that this new era of, you know, fan base interaction uh, depends on uh, a certain minority paying much larger amounts, and uh, it, it starts to get into a question of exploitation, whether it's, it's exploiting the fan base that you have. Um, I think, that, but you know what I mean. It's like I don't know where I stand on it, but it's it's fascinating that this thing keeps morphing into something else, and people keep finding new ways of of, of utilizing it and using it. And it 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 has been such. It's becoming this real hotbed of controversy yeah. in, in how it's being used. And um, but what's interesting, yeah, uh, and I wish I had known we were going to talk about this because I would have sent you. Uh, a link, but I'll I'll talk about it now and I'll put it in the show notes and you and everyone else can watch it. But uh, the website Upworthy posted a link this week that was a TED talk. You know what those are? Mm-hmm. The the TED group uh, by Amanda Palmer. And you know I I'd, I'd sort of been following the same thing you know with her and and the controversy and how people didn't like it and how she asked for this much and, you know, ended up getting $1.2 million. Uh, and and then, you know, the, there was the, the sort of controversy of her asking for musicians to come and play with her, but she's not paying them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she does this TED Talk. It's, it's a, a little shy of 14 minutes. In her own words, what she's trying to do and how she's using this, and it, it sort of completely turned me around on it. Oh, 
uh, very, very interesting, you know, and, and she talks about uh, the, the, all those things, the things people are sort of accusing her of, uh, but talks about how she started and how she is using this technology to sort of change how uh, she interacts with her fandom and how they receive her music. Yeah, I think I look, I'm sure she's I mean, again, I don't know where exactly I stand on this because um, I'm someone that's, you know, I think it's great that that more musicians, artists are getting more independence because the, the, the you know, the whole record label thing and uh, singles and touring and albums and, you know, press conferences, it's all, you know, it's going the way of the dodo. So there has to be a new way, and any anything that can sort of take some more of that money away from the labels that never do enough, and that have consistently exploited uh, artists here and there, uh, I think is you know is a good thing. It's just it does get a little hinky. It, you, you do start to to wonder what is. I mean, exploitation is is a good word um, for some of this, and um, I don't know. Does she talk about like? Like what she did with the excess funds. Uh, she does talk a bit about that. Yeah. What did she What did she say? Uh, well, she she talks about sort of using it to uh, how it expanded the tour and and how they did what they were trying to do. Uh, she actually hired a marketing company to come in and and help do some of the promotion for it. Then things that she wasn't planning on doing with the album originally, but now that she could, uh, she did do that. But but see that, and that's where it gets very strange for me because if you if you set a certain goal then you should stop when you hit that goal if that's what you've you've set out to do you've you've factored in this 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 and this for costs that's what your goal is then stop when you hit it to then go well look i got so much money that i was able to do even more than i set out to do and i could hire these people and this and that well that's that's still serving the artist more than initially was admitted to or, or told to the fan base. And that's what I have a problem with. It's like she should have just stopped when she met that goal or once it started going over, start refunding that money because that was not, you know, if these guys, if their goal is $12,000 for this, this body, then it has to get cut off at twelve grand. That, that's, that's, if you set this budget up, that's what it should be. Well, I mean, Kickstarter now does... Uh, a thing with stretch goals. So if you hit a certain amount of money over, everyone that has bought in gets additional, you know, uh, items. So like this Zika thing has three additional stretch goals that you can read about. Okay, but where, okay, so there has to be somewhere to draw the line though. Then, then in, you know what I mean? Like then if you're going to, if you're going to get the campaign going and you're not going to have an end goal, and he's just going to keep going, let's say Amanda Palmer, then you should just say, I don't know how much money I need. Just start sending me. We're going to keep it open for six months and see how it goes. If you've said that this is what you need, that, you know, I, I, her goal was like, wasn't her goal like a hundred grand or something? Yeah, it was. I mean, that, you could hire six PR teams for the additional money that she got for this thing. And so I, I, I just I can't believe that none of that went into her pocket. But the other interesting thing is that, you know, her Kickstarter, that, that particular one that we're talking about, was only funded by about 25,000 people. Well, she, I mean, that, that's what's extraordinary is just how 
how loyal that fan base is. But imagine, yeah. imagine if a band like you know Blur or U2 or whoever, you know, if they've got eight times the fan base she does, imagine what they could pull in if they did something and cut out all the middlemen and you know paying for a studio, you know, yada yada. Um, you know what I mean? It just it becomes it's going to it's already becoming a slippery slope as to the the ethics sort of involved with this. Uh, but I, I do think it's there's something uh, I keep saying it, but there's something wrong if you've if you've set up a budget and you know what this is going to be and you're saying this is what we need and then we can put it into full gear, then it should sort of stop there. I don't understand why it it even is allowed to go beyond what the goal is. That's confusing to me. Well, take take a look at this video and uh, let's meet back and discuss it. Yeah. Because I, I, I'd be very curious to see what you think uh, hearing about it well, sort of she, in her own words. I'm sure she makes a very good and and smart case for – but just, just that one answer. Well, I was able to hire a, you know, a publicity team to, you know, to do more, and I expanded the tour. Well, that's not what you set out to do, though. That's not what you told everybody that you were going to do and what you, know, what you need. I only need this to do this. And suddenly it becomes, well, now we could have Evian – in the in the green room instead of just you know CBS water or whatever, but it wasn't just that. I mean, she you know she went to people's houses and I mean she did all sorts of stuff for the the backers of this thing that she talks about. No, I I get all that, but, but like she did a weird thing in Germany where you know all the people that donated came and uh, they got to like she stripped down naked and they drew all over her body and stuff like that. You know, I would I would pay for her to keep her clothes on. Frank. Right. Um, but 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 I mean, do you do you not do you think that there's anything that's sort of ethically a little gray about, you know, keeping something going past the goal that you initially set up? Like if these guys say they need 12 grand to do this thing. And they, I don't and I don't. And I'm OK with it going more to the artist. You know, I, I heard an interview this week with Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails Uh where he was talking about, you know, they've got a Nine Inch Nails has a new album coming out. And he was talking about, you know, his last two albums, he sort of funded himself and sold to people through his own, you know, mechanism. Uh, but this new album is, is actually going to be, I think, on Columbia. And he, he talks about, he... I guess last time he was on K-Rock talking about it, the social network had just come out and he did the whole score to that, that movie. And the day he was there talking to them, that was on sale on Amazon for like $3. And he was like, did I really work a whole year on this for it to be sold for like $3 and did not have control over that, you know? Uh, So this is people, you know, not sort of fleecing the, you know, all the, the people along the way and actually giving them their money to the musicians that they like and want to support. And yeah, well, who cares how much it is? Is this, um, because it's funny. And I think in this article, they might be talking about the, the, the Ted talk. Uh, is it called the art of asking? Is that the name of her Ted talk? Uh, maybe it's, it says on, on online seminar and in the article, it says she compares the, uh, Crowd, the, the funding for this sort of thing 
she says that it paints this utopian picture of artist-fan relations, comparing the business of asking fans to front the cash for your artistic endeavors to crowd surfing. You take a leap of faith and trust your followers' love to keep you aloft. Nobody gets hurt. And the point he's making is, if everybody's just you know contributing a dollar, you're not gonna you're not gonna get there. But you're sort of counting on that loyal fan base that. And I know no one's putting a gun to anybody's head to to pledge the money, but you're depending on that loyal fan base of X percent to go the extra mile and spend the hundred, four hundred, five hundred bucks to get that extra stuff. Uh, yeah, that is that is what they're talking and about. And it's though. and it's a it is a fine line of of exploitation, I think. Um, but I but beyond that, and again, everybody's you know can do what they want with their money. I do think it's. It, it, it kind of defeats the purpose of having a, an end goal. I keep I'm using it's a terrible term to use. I wish I could was smart enough to think of a better term. But your your budget or whatever they come up with uh, goes out the window when you just keep getting money in. I think that's that's uh, kind of kind of odd. Uh, but it, it does lead to this whole all this controversy coming. I was like, where does it stop? And and how how much further can people take this if we're already getting established financially stable stars getting people to fund their movies and stuff uh you just wonder where this is going to going to go so that's what you're excited about uh another kickstarter well not that you've been excited about a kickstarter before but the a kickstarter campaign uh yes. uh i'm excited about it, nothing too uh crazy but the beatles second film help their color motion picture uh, after a hard day's night, just got released on Blu-ray DVD. Mm. Uh, so I picked that up, and unfortunately, it doesn't really have. I don't think it's got one thing extra from the original DVD release, but it's just cool to have it in in Blu-ray. Oh, that's so interesting. I picked that up, and uh, just uh, just something I noticed, just for people to kind of um, be aware of, Barnes and Noble, which is one of those places that I always kind of go, how do they keep afloat like you know what i mean like like so many other places have gone away barnes mm-hmm. and nobles still going and and they're not small places you know they're like each barnes and nobles like three stories um but i guess it's encouraging that people are still going to stores to buy you know books and things but um i wonder how long you know they're gonna stick around because it's just so easy to you know press you know hit buttons and and move the arrow around to order stuff online. But uh, they're constantly doing these these sales, especially with the DVDs, uh, I think to entice people to come in and, and spend money, obviously, because of that very thing. They uh, always have a – they do this like four or five times a year with the Criterion DVDs mm-hmm. where they do – you know, they're all like 50% off. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and the Criterion DVDs on average are about 40 bucks. Uh, a DVD. Uh, so like half off. But right now they're doing a thing with CDs and DVDs. Buy any two and get the third one free. Oh, wow. So, uh, and they can be sale items. I mean, they have some Blu-rays that are, you know, 10, 12 bucks. Uh, you know, it's it's a little pricier than, you know, Target and different places that you would go for, you know, Best Buy and places like that. But uh, depending on what you're looking for, um, and if you're in the area, you know, Buy two, get one free is not not too bad for DVDs. 
That's nothing to sneeze at. Nothing to nothing to cough at. So yeah. So what else is going on? We got we had a we we had a really cool um, we had a couple of cool messages we got this past week about the show. We did. That's true. Yeah. Lay lay it lay it on us. So uh, the first, I, I thought maybe we could do this a little bit and have like a listener of the week for people that write in. That's cool. And, and do things. Yeah. Do it so Kickstarter. And have a budget, of like, <laughs> have a budget of like fifty bucks, and uh, yeah. see if we can get like a hundred grand. Nice. Uh, so this week it's uh, a gentleman by the name of Kevin Mayo, uh, and he just started listening to the show and and uh, has been blazing through it apparently, and really likes when we talk about documentaries. And he bought a bunch of them. Uh, oh, he bought. He them. bought. I thought he. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it sounded like he bought them. He just got a bunch in. He said, "Wow! If he bought them, then boy, oh boy, that's 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 quite a pat on the back for us that we inspired people to actually go out and spend money." Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. And what what were the? Do you remember the documentaries? Uh, he got. I know he got Rocket Fire Explosion. Uh, what was the other ones he got? Uh. Let me see if I can look it up. Yeah, now. it was Rock of Fire. It was uh, the pinball one. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, special when lit. Special when lit. Yeah. And something else. And what was the other one? Yeah. And he was saying he loved him. He said, uh, "Oh, Mar- Marwin call." Right, and he but he it wasn't it was funny the one the the um, showbiz pizza one the Rock of Fire one he said he was more of a Chuck E. Cheese guy, and because I find when I talk to people about that documentary. I forget, you know, it was kind of regional. Like, did you have showbiz pizza where you grew up? We did. We had one. And it was actually in town before Chuck E. Cheese. Exactly. Same same thing here. We I, I remember it well before Chuck E. Cheese. I always thought Chuck E. Cheese was like a pale imitation. Because Chuck E. Cheese didn't have the animatronic band, did they? Well, they had the mouse himself. He walked around. Yeah. Well, no, there, there was an animatronic oh, there was? one. Yeah. I just remember the guy in the suit walking around. And then they, I think there they had sort of like a theater that showed cartoons and stuff. But there was one animatronic huh. thing in that theater that would sort of introduce the cartoons. Sorry, I said suit. What I mean is it was a real rat walking around. What? Um, yeah, but, but then, I, then, I, then I recall, was, didn't something happen where when the showbiz stuff started to go under, the Chuck E. Cheese started to take on some of their, their animatronic creatures and stuff? Yeah, and they kind of reskinned them. Yes, reskin. Yeah. Oh, that's a horrifying thought. They did. <laughs> they did. They they reskinned them and made made other characters. But yeah. um, we had a couple uh, growing up, and uh, boy, I remember all the the merchandise. You know that you could get. You could either buy or you could get when you won. You know tokens off the ski. What's it called? Ski ball. Ski ball. Yeah. Ski ball. And. Uh, Try to find some of that showbiz stuff, like on eBay these days. Really tough to track down, and it and it gets a little pricey. Yeah, so yeah. So there's a there's a strong fan base for this uh, this beloved restaurant, but it's it's a fascinating documentary. I love that thing. Yeah. So Kevin is uh, is in Florida. Uh, I went. I looked at his uh, Facebook page, and he had some really cool like action figure photography that I was really impressed by. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Kevin. So that's, that's Kevin, our listener of the week. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support and um, trusting our judgment to go out and uh, 
spend money on documentaries, sight unseen. That's pretty impressive. And thanks for writing in. We appreciate that, too. Yes, always. That goes for everyone. We appreciate your, your taking the time. Speaking of documentaries and speaking yes. of Comic-Con, I am uh, an hour – an hour. I am a year <laughs> – my clock is so off that I judge hours by years. It's wow. Just, uh, I'm about a year off from this, but I finally saw Morgan Spurlock's Comic-Con documentary. Why so soon? <laughs> I just, you know, I, I feel like I'd seen it because at the Entertainment Earth booth last year, they did a tie-in with, uh, I think it was Toys R Us, having the DVD with those exclusive figures, little PVC figures and stuff. Yeah, and there so, were two versions. There was a Toys R Us version, and I think there was a, a NECA version that you could order that had two different figures in each set. Right, and it's ironic because all I really wanted was the Joss Whedon and the Stan Lee figures. I didn't care about the Morgan Spurlock or the Harry Knowles figures, but they were in separate groupings. That's right. They're not in the same set. Yeah, somebody thought of that ahead of time. Um, so, well, and then they, they kind of ran chunks of it on a loop on monitors at the Entertainment Earth booth. Okay. So I just kept seeing you know bits of it, and I felt like I'd seen most of the damn movie already. Plus, you've kind of lived it being there every year for <laughs> kind of lived it. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it was it was it was okay. But I was I was disappointed uh, because wouldn't it be great to have a documentary about Comic Con? We we have that. What where? Uh, you just watched? No it. no no no. What we have is a documentary that talks a bit about Comic Con. That you have a lot of talking heads on camera, you know, talking about the appeal and uh, why they go. And then you have these four or five characters that you're following and what they're doing uh, for Comic-Con. But a documentary about the history of Comic-Con, you know, wouldn't, I mean, I'd love to see more photographs of those early days. With So you're talking more archival footage. And yeah, and then, you know, get Mark Hamill on camera and talk about, the Comic-Con of 76 when he was down there pushing this thing called Star Wars with some, you know, a slideshow and, you know, what it meant for Godzilla and what it meant for this and that. And these different movies that have taken advantage and things have backfired or what's the craziest thing that happened or, you know, there are um, there was a, a young girl. I say girl because she was like 14 or 15 and I cannot think of her name. You might know about this. But this is legendary. Back in the 70s, she would show up at different you know, sci-fi conventions and Comic-Con dressed like Vampirella. I mean, a really suggestive outfit. And she was only like 14, 15 years old. And she became... I, I don't know about this. Well, it, 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 because it was, it, there was a magazine that was done about her that was always advertised in Famous Monsters. And she oh. became like a pal of Forrest Ackerman's. And she knew, you know, all these different sci-fi authors. But there are all these black and white photos online of her, like, hanging out at different little parties after, the, you know, the day of Comic-Conning, whatever. Just things like that that are like these, these characters that kind of uh, became sort of famous in their own right uh, going to Comic-Con. And... Um, just stuff like that. I, I was hoping for for more of of that, and just the history and how it's how it started um, and how it changed. The, the most fascinating story 
was the guy, the Mile High Comics guy. Right. And just his insight into how it's changed in the past. I think he said he's been going like, he said he had the Mile High Comics for 40 or 41 years. Yeah. And I think he's been doing Comic-Con for like 38. And that's amazing. Uh, I'd love to have heard more from him and just, you know, followed that story and how things have changed over the years. Um, so it was, it was good and it was, it was well done and everything. I just, I kind of wanted something else from a, if that's going to be the only Comic-Con documentary we get, um, I was hoping for something a little different. Well, there, there's our Kickstarter. There you go. It's going to make a, a mini series. Just got to come up with a budget. And just a, a documentary a year for every year it's been going on. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. I mean, wouldn't you want to see just how it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure we've both heard of this at different times, but wherever that first venue was, uh, if it's still there, take a crew back and say, this is where it started, you know, yeah. in this basement with 300 people or whatever, you know. Um, I, I'd love to, to see more of that. Yeah, I'd be interested in that. Yeah. All right, we should do it. We'll, we'll, All right. We'll uh, start doing promotions for it this year at Comic-Con. So uh, today, the day we're recording this is Thursday the 27th, and it was this day in 1972 that Atari was founded. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, the, the birth of, uh, you know, Pong was first, but, you know, Atari was the big thing that really brought home gaming uh, home, quite frankly. Was, was Pong theirs? Pong was not theirs, no. Oh, who who did that? That's why I'm saying Atari, you know, wasn't quite the you know the grandfather, the founder of it. There was something before. Who did uh, Pong? Uh, that was William H. Pong. Oh, no kidding. Yep, he was very good. I wonder if he named the game after his himself. Why would he do that? I don't understand. Or is it just a coincidence? Just a coincidence. <laughs> wow. But there's a, a documentary that's that being worked on right now about Atari. And one of the things that they are going to do is go to that, uh, which is, uh, I think a lot of people thought it was an urban legend, but this sort of fabled uh, landfill in New Mexico that's supposed to be filled with old Atari product and cartridges and uh, most famously the E.T. game that uh, tanked so spectacularly that kind of uh, was part of the death of the 2600, really. I mean, they put so much marketing and, and push behind both E.T. and when they got the rights to, to Pac-Man, and uh, they didn't quite light the world on fire like they were hoping. And so, you know, it, it's sort of like, you know, the you always hear about the action figure molds sitting on the bottom of Hong Kong Harbor. Well, there was always this landfill full of uh, Atari cartridges, specifically E.T. cartridges. And for this documentary, they are going to excavate where they uh, have found that to have been. So I'll be curious to see that when it comes out. I have a theory. Tell me. I think there may be a connection with Jimmy Hoffa. Oh, I think he's down there in the in the ground playing E.T. Yeah, I think he, he could be. I think he could be down there under all those E.T. cartridges. Uh, it's the, it's just, you know, it's in plain sight. It's no one's thought of it, but, uh, you know, they keep trying to dig him up with no luck, but I'm thinking he could be in that ET landfill. Did you ever play that ET game on 2600? I I never did. My cousin had it, but I never, I never played it. See, he had, he had Atari and Intellivision. And then I think he gave me 
when he got a new Atari, we got the old Atari system uh, okay. and a handful of his games, but never the um, never the ET game. But you said it was just completely moronic. It's terrible. I mean, I played a lot of it. Make no mistake, but you would wander from screen to screen, and there'd be this series of holes <laughs> that you would fall into. And there would be stuff in them. You would have to build a phone that looked like the letters E.T. And then there was like, you know, Reese's Pieces. And there were flowers you would resurrect. And there were FBI agents chasing you. But every time you, to get out of the hole, you would have to extend his neck. And so, you know, when he's running around, it's kind of a top-down view. But when you fall into the hole, it's like a cross-section. So you would raise his neck and make him fly out of the hole, and then it would change back to the top-down, and he'd drop right back in the hole. Well, see, this is... And it would take you about seven times to get out of any hole. And this was always the problem with it. Here it is, the biggest movie of all time uh, that should translate into, you know, mega sales for toys and whatever else gets touched by the, the title. But when it comes to a video game, it's like, what do you do with the character? Like, what do you what do you do with this story or this character? Not the same thing, but similarly, they always had a problem with Doctor Who as a property, and what you do with this character in in a video game, uh, yeah. because he doesn't, you know, he can use the sonic screwdriver here and there, but he doesn't have he doesn't use guns, so he's not going to yeah. be blasting his way out of whatever circumstance he's in. Uh, and they've always had trouble. Like when they finally didn't they finally just do it for Wii or something? Not too long. Ago? I think so. There, there's a. I know there's one on the iPhone that I played. Well, there's one that finally got made for you know, Wii or. I think it's the Wii. Yeah. Yeah, and and it just got terrible reviews, yeah. saying that it just was a waste of time. Um, so not everything works as a video game. That is true. I guess you know. I said that about the the beaches video game for Intellivision. No one listened to me. I think that could still work. I don't know. They couldn't give that thing away. Hmm. You know? And then they then they had Steel Magnolias in production, and I said, don't! you kidding me? Oh. What do you do with these characters? But uh, what do I know? Uh, I don't know. So uh, you saw some uh, movies that we haven't seen? Uh, well, I don't know. Have you seen the World War Z? I have not seen the World War Z. Yeah, I went. I got to see an early screening of that. Oh, I did, however, sorry, I did, however, yes. see pictures of some action figures, which have me completely baffled. Okay. Did you see these pictures? Uh, I, I haven't seen the pictures, but I actually saw the action figures at Toy Fair. They were behind a curtain, and I could not say that I saw them or that they even existed. Well, you blew that. Now everybody knows. Uh, now the film is out, I can say. It's Jazzwares that, that is doing the figures. Yeah, and there's a figure of, of, of Brad Pitt's character that I don't they must not have been able to get his rights, his likeness rights or something. Because it's it's clearly not Brad Pitt. <laughs> it's some other guy with short hair. Yeah. It's very, very odd. But uh you I suppose those would have been out by now because the movie's imminent, right? Did it just come out? Uh, it, yeah, it just came out this last week. Uh, so, with, but I, but the figures are not out yet, and they they still aren't even saying that they uh, as of last week they hadn't shown them anywhere on their website. They said they were getting ready to show them, but uh, I guess one of the retailers got a hold of it and those pictures leaked and kind of went everywhere. But uh, Jazzwares themselves haven't shown pictures of them. Yeah, leaked is the 
leaked me in the opportunity. <laughs> um, uh, without t- telling us too much, because the rest of us haven't seen it, did you enjoy yourself? Uh, I did, actually. I mean, it's the... The thing about it, you know, it's it's based on a very famous book that uh, written by the son of Mel Brooks, and a, a lot of people really like the book. But the book is sort of an oral history of this event, and so it's a lot of vignettes talking about sort of around the world. There's not like this central character and this through line and this storyline. So for that, they had to create that for the film. So, you know, you're not going to be able to translate that book. Uh, especially well in, in a setting like a feature film. So you can't be like a fan of the book and go, oh my gosh, it's going to be just like that. Right. Because, man, it's not. Mm. Uh, but still, it was it was fun. It was it was interesting. You know, it's not the greatest movie. It was a great summer film. Uh, the, you know, it's not sort of dumbed down. Uh, the, you know, uh, anyone that's seen the previews know that they're sort of very fast uh uh, swarming zombies yeah. and it was just that was something that I had not seen before so I thought that was pretty cool and then uh, the end sort of the the resolution of it I thought was uh, was also something I had not really seen before and it's also got your all time favorite actress in it which which one is that the the woman from uh, the killing from the from the killing yeah yes she is in it that's his wife your favorite redheaded uh, woman actress yes. All right. Well, I gotta say, the killing this season, so much better than those previous seasons. Is it really? Oh my gosh. Really? Yes. Oh, I'm gonna have to try to catch up with that then. Yeah. I have not been watching it. Head and shoulders above those first two seasons. I feel like that was just so drawn out and just. So yeah. Okay, I'll have to uh, check in on that. But speaking of something that we both watch, yes, uh, season finale of Mad Men. Yes. Oh boy, oh boy. Those last couple of episodes. Holy cats. Uh, I don't know where they're going to take this guy, but it. I don't know if it's... I don't know if he's just going to walk away from everything and start over as like a shoe salesman. Right. What he's going to do. You can never tell if he... Because there was that time... Was it last season, that finale, when he... When he burst into that meeting, uh, was it for Chevy or I don't know what it was for? When he's like, "You don't want to be good; you want to be the best," you know. And he was lecturing them on how they're they're aiming too low, kind of thing. And it was like, "There's the old Don Draper. Like he he's constantly striving for the brass ring. He's always going the extra mile because he wants more, more, more." Yeah. And now it seems like I can't tell if he is still in the game and cares and wants to achieve more or is trying to sabotage everything. Yeah. He really sort of broke apart in this, this last one. And I thought it was funny because, you know, it was, the season finale was on this past Sunday. And uh, like I said, I was at that concert Sunday night. So when we got home, we were like, Oh, we should watch that, you know, stay up and watch it. So it doesn't get spoiled. And, you know when you you pull something up on your your TV, your cable, your Direct TV, and it's got you know the name of the episode and then a description of it. Oh yeah, I know what you're gonna yeah. <laughs> so I pulled it up on on my Direct TV and uh, the 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 slug line, the explanation for this episode simply says, "Don has difficulties." I, I know. I read that. and I was like, well, that could be any episode. That's not just yeah. the finale. That could, you could use that for. 
any episode this season. <laughs> but it was sort of reminiscent to me of, you know, how they do the trailer for next week, where it's like 20 seconds of non sequiturs. Yeah, of nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Old Don has difficulties. Has difficulties, yeah. So it was, boy, it was, I mean, it was great. It's still, I think, one of the best things on television ever. Um, but uh, not a happy show, I'll tell you. No. Not not a lot of happy characters in there, and not not a lot of characters you can even root for. Like it used to be, you could kind of root for Peggy, or you could kind of root for Joan, or I mean, they're all incredibly flawed. Yes, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, oh, totally. Which is great. I mean, it's a fascinating. I think the first show I ever saw really try and do that was Oz on HBO. You know, at no point could you ever sort of let go of the fact that you're all watching, you know, everyone on this show is a criminal, you know? Yeah, or trying to, I mean, I used to think about that in terms of The Sopranos, too, where, yeah. you know, it's like, give me a character to kind of, like, the, the daughter was kind of the one that you sort of would root for, but then she had these flaws, too, where, like, you know, just when you thought you could... Uh, kind of morally get on the side of, uh, you know, Carmela, the wife, then all of a sudden she would turn around and do something where she would use her husband's status to sort of threaten someone, Yeah, you know? Um, and it ends up, you end up watching and thinking, boy, there's, there's no one on here. Even, uh, uh, what's his name? Little Steve, little Steven Van Zandt. Yes. He was kind of that neutral guy that every episode you'd go, well, he doesn't seem so bad. He's not, like, killing people every week, and he seems to be pretty good. And then, you know, one episode, you, you know, oh, God, remember the episode? Because they've been rerunning it a lot uh, lately, especially with the recent passing of Gandolfini. Mm-hmm. Um, the one, uh, Christopher's girlfriend. I can't think of her name. I haven't watched all of them. Oh, jeez. So, okay, yeah. never mind. Something happens that I won't tell you about. All right. But, um, yeah, it was, anyway, uh, it was great, Mad Men. I just have no idea where they're going to go with this because it's, it's over. Next season is it. That's right, yeah. And they've obviously mapped this out, and they know where they're going. <laughs> you better hope so after, after this season. I mean, that... And the ending. His confessional there in that, in that pitch meeting was just bizarre. Yeah, that was so strange and, and completely unexpected. Right, and just not, like, did he think there was going to be backlash from it or of any kind? It was just very strange. Um, so speaking of, of watching shows with flawed characters, uh, a show that has been recommended to me over and over again that I, I also had not sat down and watched was Deadwood. And uh, the missus and I are, uh, have started working our way through that now. We We tried it at one point and got about four episodes in, and, you know, she was busy with work and kept falling asleep, and we just, that was over a year ago. So we started again and are blazing through it. I think we're we're a little past the halfway mark in season two right now out of three seasons, and, and really enjoying that. Very fascinating show. I just never got into it. It just, it just um, again, with the whole, I don't need all my characters to be likable, but um, it just always left a, a weird taste in my mouth. Um, and so I just, and I always thought that the swearing was kind of affected, um, and used, you know, a little bit too much. 
not that it's not a it's not a being you know a, a moral objection to the swearing. It's just it just seemed like it was let's throw some swear words in here and let's throw some swear words in. And so I just it just never really clicked with me. Uh, well, it gets very strange the longer you watch it, and and people had described this to me, and I, you know, always sort of smiled and nodded, but it the language of it and including the swearing, it gets very Shakespearean after a while, uh, which is a very strange thing to say about you know uh, this this show about the old west, but uh, it's it's really true that there's still this sort of heightened speech to it uh and a, and a way of speaking that doesn't really exist anymore so uh you know we had this the same thing it just it, we di- it didn't quite take the first time but second viewing and and keeping going it's it's great yeah well maybe i'll um maybe i'll have to uh give that a try as well yeah there's just so much that i need to <clears throat> catch up on no oh, i know such things are concerned i just i mean i still have the entire box set of the wire i have the entire series oh yeah and one weekend we did about six episodes i think mm-hmm. and uh and that was it we never went back to it it wasn't that we weren't enjoying it it just i don't know it wasn't it just didn't grab us enough to to keep going with it but i've got the whole thing i think i might have rome too oh okay yeah i think i might have rome well, now that I think of it, I think I have that entire. I've never seen an episode of Rome. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm. I don't even know how I got these things. Yeah. Um, but The Wire Two is one of those ones where, you know, everyone says it is the gr- the greatest television show ever created, like it is the benchmark. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I watched it, and it, and that you know, you kind of have to get through that whole first season. And you you know you're watching you go I, I kind of understand what people are saying, and then by the end of that first season you're like well I, oh man I got to keep going, and then every season it's still set in Baltimore and there's some of the same characters but there's a different focus on the city, uh, and these different groups every season and just the mapping out of that, uh, and and making this overall arching thing is fascinating and so well done. Yeah, that's what I that's what I keep hearing that it's just um it it is just that one of the best, you know, shows ever for all those reasons. Um so I really I really need to stop what I'm doing and get to it. That's right. Um uh speaking of watching um things, I think you and I are both excited for Pacific Rim. Yes. Uh every every trailer looks more fun than the last. And I mean, for God's sake, it's giant robots fighting giant monsters. Yes. You know, just what do you need a roadmap? Just go, <laughs> you know, get there. Um, but you keep seeing these uh, articles and things that are being written saying it's it's going to be a disaster of some kind. Yeah, the you know the whoever it is you know the the prognosticators keep saying it's going to have a really small opening, and that people don't really care about it. They're comparing it to battleship and you know what was that roland emmerich one million bc or something oh yeah uh they're comparing it to things like that just saying people don't really want to see it and they haven't even spent i think they still got over half their budget they haven't even spent uh for the you know the the plugging of this yet but i'm really shocked that 
And I saw a thing today that they're saying that, you know, it opens the same day as uh, Grown Ups 2. And they are expecting the number one film that week to be Grown Ups 2. You know what? It's shocking to me. That is, that is not that shocking to me, unfortunately. Ugh. It really isn't. I, I, that's probably going to be the case. The fact that they're even making a Grown Ups 2 should, unfortunately, uh, that should hit home pretty pretty hard to you. They're making a sequel. That just makes the baby Jesus cry. I mean, the, the posters. I want to punch those posters in the face. Those grown up two posters or yes. things where it shows like their high school pictures. Oh my god, I I just I I, I do not understand. Um, but yeah, it's you know I'm not expecting, you know Shakespeare with this thing. Um, I just I can't believe that people aren't interested. I mean, the comparisons are strange. Like Battleship and that other one. It's like really, I I thought it had a lot of buzz going. And people enjoy the Guillermo del Toro? I think so. I mean, I don't think he's ever, like, sets the world on fire, but, but he's got a, a... It's interesting to me that something like this... I was thinking about it driving past one of the posters, how cool it is that a guy like that is in a position where, you know, instead of the pile of scripts sitting in the corner that the studio says, we've got all these, we've already spent a lot of time and money on, what do you want to do? He can say, you know, I had this dream last week about, you know, whatever. I want to make it into a movie and get it made. You know, like like this sort of thing. Like this is the kind of thing that he can get on the on the fast track. Right. You know, uh, I think that's just lovely. And what's the thing that he's doing? I read about this a, a long time ago, but it's actually happening. The DC thing that he's doing. Uh, oh, uh, Justice League Dark. Yeah. Now, is he he's yeah. directing it as well? I think so. He's at least producing and, and kind of helping hammer out the script on it, but I'm not sure if he was directing it or not. And it's a, it's a handful of characters from that world, like right? Isn't it? Yeah, some of the, and, like the magical characters, Dead you know, Man. Phantom Stranger and Zatanna and... Dead Man. Yeah. Yeah, and, the, and which is so cool that putting that team together instead of just a Dead Man movie, I think it's cool that they're they're trying to make this you know, super team. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's fun. Speaking of which, yes, you know, there's been a lot of people speculating post man of steel release. Uh, and I guess this week, man of steel surpassed Batman begins in box office numbers. Uh, you know, there was just a lot of these rumors and, and interviews and stuff. And everyone was saying not only is man of steel two just around the corner, uh, they're really fast tracking the justice league movie. And they were saying we could see Man of Steel 2 as early as next year, to which I said baloney, because it takes a lot longer than that to make a film with that kind of effect, you know, those effects. Yeah, and they're, they're going to want to get the script right, like the last one, so... Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. But Henry Cavill, I guess, was interviewed just this week and kind of came and said, you know what, it's coming, I know they're very excited about it, but it is not right around the corner. And didn't he sort of, but didn't he, well, you're talking about the, the Superman 2 or Justice League? Uh, both, actually. Yeah, I thought he kind of shot down Justice League altogether. No? Uh, well, yeah, that was the one he was specifically saying. That's, it's coming, but there's no script yet. Oh, okay, so he, but he did confirm that that's, that's happening. 
Yeah, yeah, that they're very – well, I think everyone has said along the way that they're very interested in doing that. But Yeah, I mean, we've been hearing about it for, for years, but there was that crazy rumor not long ago that Nolan was going to do it, that he was going to direct it, and that Bale was going to come back as Batman. And Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're seeing it in 2014 after all. But didn't you say – or was this a conversation that I had with Alex about Man of Steel that that – they went out of their way to say that it's not in the same universe as as Nolan's Batman, or it is in the same universe. They went out of their way to say it is not the same universe. Then how are they going to explain away if if he does come back in a Justice League thing? I don't know. Hmm. Why? Why? And I don't think they know. But but what is the logic behind saying? What is the logic behind the studio? Owning DC and, and trying to get all this stuff off the ground where they have to look at what Marvel's doing and say, boy, they're really getting that right. And Marvel goes out of their way to say, we're all taking this all happening in the same universe. That's why this character can mention this and in, in a different movie and yada, yada. Why, why are they – what is the logic behind getting the message out that – this Man of Steel character is not in the same world as the Batman movies that we've already seen. Well, we've, you know, we've, we have had that discussion on this show before, just talking about why is it, you know, no one sits down and sort of maps this out. Why do they have to change everything and reinvent the wheel each time? It's like, why have that woman at the end of it, the, the, the military woman, be named Carrie Ferris when you've already have a movie with Carol Ferris in it? Right. You know, it's like, why not just make that someone else? But what what about it? I'm sorry, because I'm, I'm, I'm truly out of it here. What what sort of message was sent that says this is not the same universe? Like, what did they do? That, is that something that we read, like, online and stuff before the movie came out? Or was there something? Within? It was, yeah. It was, it was interviews with both Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan. However, the, you know, the W on... The satellite looked a lot like the Wayne W. from the Nolan film. So, but they made it partially, you know, obstructed where it was sort of wrapped around it. So, I, it's stuff like that. It's just, it feels lazy to me. Yeah, it's like well, I, it's kind of, but it's not. But yeah, I don't, I just don't understand it. Would just all everything would point to it being to their benefit by having it be in that same world. Uh, in case you want to have so-and-so make a cameo or whatever. I yeah. don't quite get the the logic there, but that's... that's I don't know if it's Nolan just not wanting... A, uh, it's not a supernatural, but someone with superpowers, you know. In all the villains he chose, they were... There were, it was no one with like powers, you know. It wasn't like Clayface and and things like that for for his universe. He wanted to stay very grounded. So I don't know if he thinks having Superman in that world shatters the illusion of what he was trying to create. I'm just not sure what his beef is. That's interesting. Yeah, that that could be because I mean that could be because if if you're gonna if if they decide to bring Batman back, which I'm sure they will, and it's not Nolan and it's not Bale they're probably going to have to start dipping into the characters that are a little more fantastical. Right. Um, and so that would make the Nolan trilogy sort of stand alone 
that always stayed in that world of, of realism. Uh, so that that could very well be what uh, what it is. Uh, speaking of getting things right and uh, writers and concepts and such, we should mention um, the passing of two two great writers creators. Yes, uh, Richard Matheson passed away. He was he was definitely you know getting up there. Um, uh, I forget what he had. He was he was ill with something. He had a stroke or something. Was it? I, I I have to look that up again. I don't. I didn't read that part of it. Yeah, and he, um, a great writer, great science fiction writer, um, most famous probably for some stuff that he did with Twilight Zone, specifically Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, uh, one of the Shatner episodes with the Gremlin on the wing. Um, he also did an episode called Steel, which inspired the movie Real Steel that Hugh Jackman uh, did. Yep. Um, he wrote the telemovie Duel, Spielberg's first film, you know, a d- yep. directing a film. Uh, I Am Legend. I Am Legend, yeah, the the original story, I Am Legend, that became, I think, it, well, first it was done with Vincent Price, called, um, I think it was called The Last Man on Earth or something along those lines. And then yeah. it became The Omega Man, and mm-hmm. then they finally did it as I Am Legend with um, with Will Smith. But just, I think he might have done Incredible Shrinking Man as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think that is correct, yeah. A giant of that world. And also was responsible for uh, a couple of the Night Stalker, Kolchak uh, TV movies. Uh, So just a a legend in that world. Um, And, you know, his stuff will live on forever. And then this one was kind of shocking to me. It was uh, besides Gandolfini, which happened just after we recorded the last episode. Shocking, just like 51 years old, um, you know, no indication of anything. Boom, gone. Um, uh, Gary David Goldberg, mm. that created uh, Family Ties and yep. Spin City, which I think just he just passed away a day or two ago. Yeah, um, that's correct. But. Uh, you know, two great sitcoms. He did some movies as well, but he's a great writer. Um, and, you know, guys like Michael J. Fox came out to praise him, like, I owe him, you know, my career, basically. Um, they uh, they will be missed. They were, they were, you know, just talking about trying to get something right or crossing those T's and dotting the I's like you're supposed to in scripts and stories. They're two titans of those worlds that they lived in, I think. Totally. You know, so that they'll be missed. Yep, absolutely. Very sad. It was, yeah. Uh, And surprising on a lot of that. Yeah, the Goldberg thing was like, whoa. Uh, But apparently he'd been been ill for a while. Uh, What else you got going on? Well, just uh, back to Man of Steel just real quick, because I heard a story uh, this past week that I thought was sort of interesting. Uh, I guess they had come out early on and said that there would be some sort of casting in Man of Steel that vaguely tied it to the the Donner Superman movies. I hadn't heard that. And uh, apparently the the gentleman who is in the military that is the communication expert, he's the first guy that uses the the word Superman in the film. Okay. You know, the guy goes, well, that's what they're calling him right now. Right. So that guy was the baby Clark Kent in the Donner films, the the one that lifted up the truck? No. Yeah. You're kidding me. 
It's that kid all grown up. You're joking. No. That is cool. Yeah. I wish I'd known that. I mean, you know, when I saw the film. Right, yes. That would have been nice to know. That was just that's that's a fun little connection. Yeah. So wait, which guy? The guy that set the guy that actually utters the name Superman. Yeah. And the other guy goes the you know Superman. He goes well. That's what they're Ooh. calling him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and he was in uh, I guess the first three Donner films. So he was you know he he was young Clark Kent in the in the early thing in Smallville, and then there were some flashbacks I guess that used him again in Superman two, and then he was in. Uh, like a background scene in Superman 3 also. Like a kid in a diner or something. Oh, I didn't know any of that. Yeah. I do know that the... Um, I can't think of his, his name now, but the guy... Um, the young guy that played young Clark as a teenager... Yes. Uh, his voice was Christopher Reeve in that first movie. Christopher Reeve dubbed his voice throughout his entire time on screen. Oh, okay. Which um, I didn't know until I saw one of the you know the DVD documentaries. But um, it's just seamless. Like I never knew that. I never. Yeah. It never occurred to me. But when you watch it, it's a really good job of of dubbing. Uh, really well done. Uh, huh. But I'll have to look for this. This uh, we saw that little boy naked, didn't we? Well, the, the whole world I did. guess we little little Nick. Was that him or was that the? I think there was a baby for that scene, wasn't there? Oh wait a minute, are you talking about the little kid? Yeah, the little kid. That, well, no, I guess it was. Yeah, because it was right before that. Because they just wrapped the little red thing around him and he yeah. picked up the truck. Yeah, he's so, in yeah. the lift of the truck. He was a goofy. Yeah, we saw his dinky. He's a goofy looking little kid, actually. <laughs> um, cool. Uh, something else though, you were going to talk about with uh, with Comic Con. You've got some stuff going on. Uh, I do. I've got a couple of panels. What? I do. When? Uh, I've got them on Friday, and I've got them on Saturday, and I probably should have had this actually pulled up in front of me while I was talking about it. But uh, let's see here. Opening it now, and I'll tell you all about it, because that's what I like to do. So the Friday one is called Old into Gold. How Retro Properties Are Big for Toys and Collectibles. That's going to be Friday the 19th at 7.30. That's the latest panel they've ever given me. That sounds... I think everyone's everyone's already, you know, hitting the buffet at that point. Yeah, no kidding. 7.30? 7.30, yeah. Jeez, that is late, isn't it? It is. In room 26A and B. It's going to be myself, Bill Beneke from Mattel, uh, Ed Cato, who is with Captain Action, uh, some variation of the Four Horsemen will be there. Frank Supion from Super 7. Chuck from Diamond Select Toys. And then this uh, up-and-comer, this new kid, uh, Jason Lindsay, who I guess is going to have... He's got a toy company. I don't know what he does. Wind-ups? No kid. I'm not sure what that guy does. Yeah, yeah. So he'll be part oh, of it. Oh, I got I to gotta get there. Yeah, you should come see I'm that. I'm going to drop whatever I got going on. You could learn a little something. I think I might. And then Saturday... Uh, I'm doing another one. Uh, this one's at 6.30, so you know that's that's right at the, the, the proper hour because everyone will be exhausted from walking around all day, and they'll be like, oh, I'd love to just sit and hear people talk about toys. Exactly. So 6.30, room 8, uh, is one called The Art of Play, How the 90s Changed Action Figures from Toys to Collectibles. You know, it's funny you say that because there's always one guy, one or two guys, when you look out 
when I've done these panels for you and you look out in the audience, that they're just exhausted. You just get the, the looks on these faces where they just have been walking around. They got all this stuff they're lugging around, you know, all these bags. And I'd like to think it has nothing to do with the panelists and what we're talking about. But there's usually one or two guys just look out in the audience that are, you know, usually the, one of the back rows that are just kind of zonked off asleep. Yeah. They just sort of, they, they want to participate, they want to be there, but the chair is just so comfy. and <laughs> They've been walking you know, all day. Walking all day. They found a nice spot to take a little, little cat, nip, cat nap. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, that sounds uh, exciting. I, uh, I hope I get to get to go. Indeed. And, uh, and see that. Uh, speaking of... So, so Comic-Con exclusive. Oh, yeah. More announcements. Yeah. General Giant has announced a lot of exclusives recently. They've got a ton of stuff. They've got a, a sweet Admiral Akbar bust that looks like an old naval officer. That's pretty amazing. Uh, they've got a, a Boba Fett bust. They've got Walking Dead. They've got this great premium statue that's their own IP but sort of looks like a Bond girl. Uh, and then their jumbo Star Wars figure is going to be Yak Face on a Power of the Force card, which is pretty cool. And are you gonna are you gonna get the Yak? Because you, before you were telling me you kind of pick and choose which of the Gentle Giant twelve inches you get, but yes, I seem to think it kind of sounds like you're getting them all. Uh, I don't have them all, but I've been picking them up slowly but surely. Yes. So you'll probably get and Yak Face. I have already pre-ordered a Yak Face. That is correct. Well, there you go. And then uh, in other exclusive news, there's uh, Biff Bang Pow, which you may have heard of. Yes, I have. Have even more announcements. We talked last week about the stuff you guys were doing, but there's more now. I even saw a brand new one today that I didn't know about. Well, we've got uh, the one I'm really excited about. There is a gold Cylon Commander bobblehead from uh, Battlestar Galactic, a classic Battlestar that um, not only is it a brand new bobblehead, it's got a gold logo on the base, 35th anniversary for Battlestar. It lights up, the visor goes back and forth uh, in, the, in the eyepiece area, and he talks. He says, by your command. And I think he might have a laser blast. I forget if we, if we managed to get that in as well. Uh, but it's That's a cool. really, really neat bobblehead. I'm very excited about it. And then we've got a, um, a new... Uh, Venture Brothers action figure, um, which is uh, a little racy, little uh, little dicey, little racy, but something that we did uh, in conjunction with the guys uh, that do the show and the network. Um, yes. We've got a new figure of Brock Sampson, and he's covered in blood, but he's uh, naked. Okay. He's very, very naked. So it's a companion piece to last year's bloody Brock Sampson. Yes, this this is from within the show, from the mythology yes. of the show. Uh, we're not just making this up, uh, but he is um, rather uh, rather naked. Okay, <laughs> it's a, it's going to be an adult item for the adult followers of the show. Yes, so um, that's something to look out for, and a new Dexter bobblehead as well. So you're announcing you're announcing even different things than I knew about. Yeah, there's a new Dexter bobblehead as well. It's kind of our our swan song bobblehead. Um, he is um, in um, a pink shirt and he's got the little blood slide 
container um, in one hand, and then he's got uh, a blood slide in his other hand. Okay. So that's very cool. Uh, You've got Sheldon Cooper from the Biff Bang, or the Big Bang Theory. Yes. Uh, that barks. That barks. Um, so a couple things that I'm very excited about. We've kept quiet for a while, um, but now we can talk about as we're, you know, Comic-Con's around the corner. We've got some licensed stuff for Adventure Time and uh, Regular Show from Cartoon Network, two shows I'm just in love with. And we're doing uh, the Tin Totes with the Tumblr and the uh, coasters. The cool thing about the Adventure Time one is the coasters, basically the, the lunchbox has um, Finn and Jake on either side of it. And then the coasters, you know, being perfectly round, are their faces. Uh, regular show has both characters, uh, Mordecai and Rigby, on the coasters and the lunchbox. And they each come with the tumbler, our famous, our famous tumblers that uh, hold hot and cold beverages very well. Nice. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I saw, that I just saw announced today was uh, your Star Trek Doctor Who uh, IDW crossover. Yeah, I'll let you talk about that one. So that is, uh, again, one of the, the sort of tin-tote lunchboxes, and it ties into the, uh, the IDW comic series that was the Matt Smith Doctor running into Star Trek The Next Generation, and then inside uh, it comes with a couple of monitor mates. It comes with a TARDIS monitor mate and uh, an Enterprise monitor mate. So there's some great artwork from the covers of those uh, comics. Yeah, and again, it's one of those things just to, to tell people, you know, how long this stuff takes. Uh, it's one of those things that we talked about at the booth last year. We uh, try, you know, lining this stuff up. Um, well in advance, but we we talked about it. And, you know, Comic-Con is one of those spots where, you know, most of the folks we get licenses with, you know, the studios, networks and stuff, they've usually got a rep or two down at Comic-Con, and it's a great opportunity to talk about, you know, possibilities for the future. Um, and that's something that we, we talked about last year, and, uh, you know, getting everybody to line up with the licenses to say, you know, to agree to co cross pollinate like that. And, um, and we, uh, we did it and here we are. Yeah. You've also got, uh, a, a big bang theory journal. That's exclusive to comic con. Yes. And then a cool twilight zone, uh, the Henry Bemis book set that is actually a box and it's got replica, uh, broken glasses. I hope that's not a spoiler for, People haven't seen that Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, that it waited sixty years ago. Years to get to that episode. <laughs> yeah. No, um, that's very cool because again, it goes along with the the kind of line of prop replicas we've done with uh, the Mystic Seer and the Talkie Tina. Um, and then uh, you mentioned the the Sheldon figure, but we're doing a retro uh, figure of Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Our first figure coming out for Big Bang Theory, but and then and this is something that we just we've worked on for so long, and it's so cool that we managed to pull this off, but he's like a convention goer. It's like he's, he's at Comic-Con with uh, a Comic-Con bag, you know, those giant bags that um, the DC Warner Brothers give out. Yeah. Uh, he's carrying around a little uh, San Diego Comic-Con bag. That has, and this, you know, ties into Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers makes the show, but it's got Beware the Batman on one side and like Teen Titans Go on the other. Yep. 
and he's wearing a 66 Batman logo shirt. Yep. That couldn't have been easy to do. Uh, no, but um, yes and no. It actually, um, it's tricky when you first sort of propose these things, and then um, you, uh, you know, it's funny. As the years have gone on, I mean, I, I tell this story, I told this story to, um, actually, to Ralph Garman at uh, the Dexter event that we were at uh, a couple weeks ago. When we first got the license for Dexter, and I was first speaking to, at the time, the people that repped the Dexter property for licensing. It wasn't even CBS at the time. All they had ever done uh, at Comic-Con was hand out bumper stickers. Like the year before, they had some people there handing out Dexter bumper stickers. They didn't know about... um, you know, panels, getting actors down there to do, they just, the whole thing was foreign to them. And we pushed and pushed and pushed with this first bobblehead that we did, which they were, they were sort of on the fence about because they just didn't understand how it would work for the show. Uh, and then of course it exploded when we were down there. It just, it was the hottest seller at the booth that year. Um, and eventually convinced them to get people down and do panels and all that stuff. Um, as the years have gone on, these networks and studios have really sort of it's taken a little while but they've started to really understand the currency that Comic-Con has and yeah. you know that we've got an item that's that's like you said the the Doctor Who Star Trek thing we've got the Big Bang Theory tying in with Batman and Warner Brothers and all that stuff for Comic-Con and then we've got something that you know both the same uh, studio CBS, but we've got a Star Trek Twilight Zone item. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. crossover item. So, and, and again, that stuff couldn't conceptually we can come up with it, but it couldn't happen without the cooperation of of the the studios and the networks, kind of understanding the exclusive value down there for these items. So it's it's gotten a little bit easier, but it's never it's never easy. It's never just a walk in the park. That's good, because that seems like a lot of phone calls and a lot of emails. Yeah, thank God for emails. Thank God for the emails. So, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's a great lineup. That's uh, that's terrific. Thanks. And I think there might be a, just one or a few more items to come, I think. I'm not sure that's everything. We kind of – it's gone from having one exclusive a few years ago to a dozen. I'm, I'm looking at the Entertainment Earth site right now, and there are still four empty boxes yeah, yeah. that have not been revealed that are supposed to be – Says by the twenty eighth, so that's tomorrow. So yeah, it's a lot of lot of stuff. So make room in your car right now, pick it. We'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Make room in your storage facilities. Ugh, what am I gonna do? Lots of stuff coming. So yeah, so that's a that's a great way to to wrap that up. So um, we're gonna you're gonna be out of town. Well, one one more thing I want to notice before we close uh, that I want to mention. Uh, the Four Horsemen Design Studio, they have got a brand new website that they just launched called Source Horsemen. Uh, for a while, they've had a couple of different websites. They've had the Fantastic website. They've had fourhorsemen.biz. You know, they had forums that had some problems. Now, all that other stuff has been wiped out. They have started fresh in a new location. It looks great. They've got forums back up, and all information for Horsemen will be there at sourcehorseman.com. So swing by and check them out and tell them we sent you. Cool, and we uh, we love the Horsemen. We do. And that is correct. Cornboy's a big fan, so shout out to Cornboy right now. We'll see you. Word. Did you see he cut all his hair I off? I did. He's completely bald now. He said it was an accident, and then it ended up looking really cool, but... 
He's been talking about doing that for oh, a while. Oh, has he? Okay. For a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it looks awesome. So uh, we'll see you down in San Diego in a couple of weeks, Corn Boy. Yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. But now we should say that. Now, you're you going to be out of town. Uh, I'm going to be out of town next, next week. week. You're going to be out of town part of next week and part of the next. Yes. So we're going to try and do something, but we don't know exactly how that's going to work yet. Yes. So, um, yeah, it could be an interesting on-the-road location. So we should... I will be in the heartland. You will be out of the country. Yes. And we'll see if we can find a, you know, a robust enough uh, landline uh, that we can still do something maybe. But we'll, we'll have to see how it works out. But if not, I'm sure we've got – we're going to do a, a lot of stuff at Comic-Con. Yes, we're going to be walking around, walking and talking at Comic-Con for sure. Yeah. So. All right, cool. Thanks, everybody. Have a good As week. As always, and we'll talk to you soon. Keep getting your geek on. Oh, yeah. Shiny. Let's be bad guys. Secrets of nature's deepest mystery.